Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. I am your host, Ryan Brown, and today I have the one and only Lil Mike. Mike, are you on the show? How are we doing? We are fantastic, Ryan. Love to be here on a Wednesday night, uh, t- talking a little little socks tonight. Looking looking forward to just roasting Heim beyond belief and uh, just getting after it. Indeed. We are here to talk some socks. It's been a, a bit of grip. Uh, last time we talked about our Boston Red Sox, it was a little bit before the MLB trade deadline. So it's been roughly almost two months since we last talked, and a lot has happened. And in other regards, not much has changed. So without further ado, let's just jump right in. I think we absolutely got to start with the trade deadline. The Red Sox went into the trade deadline kind of with not sure what to do, and the resulting... Decisions did not clarify any of that, as most people, myself included, I think you as well, Mike, kind of weren't sure whether they were going to be a buyer or a seller. I think most people thought that the way things were trending, they should probably just be a seller and and that it was just kind of unrealistic for them to be able to make a run like they did last year again this year. And they really didn't do anything except just tread water really they did a little bit of selling and then they did a little bit of buying didn't really make any sense uh in particular they started off by i think it was the day before the trade deadline they shipped catcher christian vasquez to the astros for a couple of prospects i think both of those prospects were outside the top 10 in the astros system if i remember correctly uh so these this is almost a move where you almost feel like Heim Bloom, the general manager of the Red Sox, just didn't think that re-signing Vasquez was going to be in the cards for the offseason and opted to get some prospects and add some organizational depth. Uh, but it did not, I repeat, it did not get well-received by the media or the team for that matter and as a result after they did one more trade which was to send reliever jake diekman to the white Sox for reese masturbating mcguire they then decided that they were going to start buying and they went and got a couple of players on the trade deadline day for very dirt cheap i will add but They brought in outfielder Tommy Pham from the Cincinnati Reds for basically scraps. It was, I think they got him for cash considerations and like, uh, I think it was international signing pool money. And then they got Eric Hosmer for who was on like a $76 million deal left uh, on his contract. And they got him for like 1.5 million. They're paying like 1.5 of it. All they had to do was give up a couple of low-end prospects and Jay Groom, who has kind of not progressed the way the Sox would have liked in order to get Hosmer for the rest of his contract. Uh, that was kind of the fallout of the Juan Soto trade to the from the Padres to the Nationals that maybe we'll dive deeper into in just a little bit. But those were the big moves that, if you want to even call them that, for the Red Sox uh, at the deadline. Mike? What were your thoughts on the decision-making that the front office made at the deadline? Well, you know, I I think if you could sum it up in one word, I think that word is confusing. Um, The Red Sox were coming off of a seven-win July going into that deadline prior prior to the month. They had a pretty easy schedule in June. You were thinking, oh, this team might compete, and then July they just – it started off losing two or three to the Cubs and it just went downhill from there. And every, everything was going wrong for this team. The Orioles were trending up and it was looking like the Sox were going to be fifth in the division, which is where I believe they still are. And you just looked at it and you were like, okay, like you have some serious contract here pieces, JD Martinez and Nathan Uvalde were the noteworthy ones Vasquez as well. Uh, even Xander Bogarts, if they had wanted to get bold, 
where they could have really reset and retooled and kind of set themselves up to compete again next year and the following year and gotten some serious blue chip level prospects back for some of those guys that they packaged them in deals. And it looked like they were going to do that when you heard that they shipped Vasquez out. And we, we were kind of waiting for a while to see what that return would be. And it was like, okay, you know what, this, the, let's see how this goes and everything. And you look at the return and Ryan, they weren't outside the top 10 of the Astros system, which is a weaker system. They were outside of the top 20. I think they were like 25th and 27th or something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. Like, like, like I'm sorry, but any prospect that's outside of like the top five to 10 in the system, it's like a nothing prospect. They're career minor leaguers who might turn into utility players at the MLB level. There are rare exceptions to that rule, like Jacob DeGrom, who just figures out how to throw a 102-mile-an-hour fastball <laughs> and 95-mile-an-hour slider, who was never a top 100 prospect. But that's such a rare one-off that you, you almost have to think, what were you thinking by getting these pieces? Now, given Valdez look good, has looked good in the minor leagues this year, and you don't want to be too quick to judge because he could come up and light it up. But, I mean, what are you thinking? Was the catcher market really that bad? I mean, I know the Cubs didn't trade Wilson Contreras, and he was the only other big catcher on the market. But really, all you could get was the 25th and 27th or something like that, best prospect out of a weak system back. And I almost think that the reaction to that was it got in Heim's head. It almost bullied him into not selling. Um, Mm -hmm. he, He responded by getting rid of Diekman for Dollar Store Reese, like you mentioned, which I, I think was um, a good move just because McGuire wasn't playing for the White Sox. He's got MLB-level talent to at least be a platoon guy, and Diekman wasn't working out here. So I, I didn't hate that move. But then he just it, – it's like he did a complete 180 and just said, screw it, we're going to buy. And they were just weird moves, man. Like Tommy Pham's in a walk year too, so that's just another walk year guy and just a plug guy for – you know. You know, a position in the corner outfield that you're going to have to replace this offseason. Um, Eric Hosmer was a weird one because your second best prospect is Tristan Casas, who plays first base. So he had no real path to playing time this year when you probably would have been able to just give him a look starting in early August as, as opposed to late August, early September, like they did. Um, it, it, ba- it blocked his path. And given Hosmer's on the cheap, they, they're paying him like the league minimum for the next three years, and the Padres are eating the bulk of that contract. So I wasn't a fan of that at first. That does look a lot better in hindsight because it'll allow Casas to just maybe focus on hitting. But, I mean, it, it was just weird moves blocking the paths of guys who, you know, blocking path the path of playing time for younger guys, not getting true blue chip prospects, and, and almost like a sense of indecisiveness from this front office. Like it didn't know what it wanted to do. It, it was like the computer algorithm that we joke about all the time that makes the decisions. <laughs> like it, it was complete, it, it was completely fried, and it it was just like off the charts or something like that. I, it it doesn't make any, it didn't make a ton of sense at the time. It makes slightly more, but still not that much sense now, only because of what the Hosmer deal turned out to be, and because Casas can just fill into the the DH role when JD walks this offseason. But I, I I think they seriously could have done a little bit better at the deadline. I would have moved JD. I would have moved Yavaldi. I, I I would have maybe even moved Bogarts because I don't know that he'll be re-signed. Um, I, I I just think that there was a better way that that could have been handled by Bloom. And as is always the case with sports, only time is going to tell. But as we've seen this past month and a half, it hasn't exactly gone the way that they wanted it to go at the deadline with the half-by-half half sell, still trying to get a playoff spot approach because they ain't making the playoffs. Yeah. They've, they've just, the moves might end up being like, when you look back at it, they might look fine. Like, like at the time they don't make any sense when you find out what they, what they gave up to bring in fam and Hosmer, which was little to nothing. It's okay. All right, fine. But in the grand scheme of things, how they're going to look at the end is like you said, confusing the whole, the whole trade deadline for the Red Sox just made no sense. You didn't know what they were going in and you didn't know what they were walking out. And that's got to be the most frustrating thing for any Red Sox fan is that the trade deadline was just handled so poorly in my end, in my estimation. And I think yours as well. And yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, down the road, 
fam, maybe he sticks around for another year and he fills in one of the outfield positions until Duran gets his act together or whatnot. Uh, but I, I just, and maybe Hosmer provides some solid uh, depth at first base until Casas is, they're ready to give Casas a, a go at it. But it, it just, it just feels like they're delaying the inevitable and they just don't want to get a rebuild of any sorts going. And that leaves you in territory where you're just forever mid. And, and when you're in forever mid, you have no chance. You have no chance of competing, but you also have no chance of getting top picks and thus top players to retool restock. So they, they need to really figure out what the direction of this team is going forward. And I think, like you said, Heimbloom is going to be very much on some sort of hot seat as to what he is going to do direction wise with this franchise. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan. And I, I think this is the off season. I don't want to get too far ahead and talk about other topics, but it's kind of a, a good segue to it. I think this is, this is the off season of Heim's career as president of baseball operations for the Boston Red Sox, because yep. you, you look at what is coming up, right? He's already re-signed Kike to one year for 10 million. I think that's a good starting place because Duran didn't show that he had it this year as a center fielder and they gave him a more than fair look. So he looks like just a career fourth outfielder, which is fine. You need those. He's a fast guy. He can hit for some contact and the occasional home run, but he's nothing more than a fourth outfielder. Kike showed last year he can be the guy in center field for you. And while he was hurt this year, you're kind of just banking on the fact that he won't be next year. $10 million is a bargain if he plays up to the level that he played at last year. So that should help. But I mean, you look at all the money they have coming off the books. They're not paying David Price anymore. Yavaldi, Martinez, Bogarts are all off the books. You, you get into to it with all the other guys and you're closing in on about $100 million in cap space that you have not had since probably before the World Series year in 2018. I mean, that's that's some serious, serious room. And the Red Sox are a big market, big money franchise that isn't afraid to open their pocketbooks when the time comes. Now, you've had a year to look at the guys who who are young and who could be projectable pieces for the future roster. And we'll, we'll get into how some of the young guys have looked. Um, but you know at this point who could contribute to next year's team and who is just going to be a swing guy that spends the bulk of the year playing for the Worcester Red Sox, who are the greatest uh, AAA team of all time. Uh, <laughs> shout, out to, shout out shout out, to Heim for building the, the Super Sox down in Worcester. Um, and, and then you know which young guys are going to be major league contributors who are going to try to help you get back to the top of the American League East next year. So once you figure that out, you kind of have to evaluate, okay, how many starting pitches do we need to get? Um, which free agents do we want to bring back? Which free agents from other teams do we want to look into? And where are the big holes on this team? And I think how Heim handles that will pretty much be telltale to whether or not he gets an extension as president of baseball ops or whether we're looking at a new general manager slash president come the winter of 2023, because th this is make or break time. There's, there's no excuses at this point. The farm system is not good enough to just supplement and get it going right away. You have to have a big winter, build a competitive major league roster that goes out and wins games. And that's not just on Heim, that's on Cora too, because a World Series gets you some goodwill, but it's been four years now and goodwill wears off quick in this town, as, as we all know. So mm -hmm. that, that, that's that, that that seats, it's it's like the heated seats in winter. They're, 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 that temperature is getting pretty freaking warm for, for Bloom and Cora at this point. Yep. I couldn't agree with you more. It, it, you, when Heim was brought in, it felt like it was refreshing. It felt like there was going to be a new sort of direction in terms of roster construction, hope for a replenished farm system, hope that we would be able to utilize a larger payroll to better usage. And it just it feels like that has just not been the case whatsoever. And I know that injuries have played a large very large part in that. Uh, I believe the Red Sox overwhelmingly have had the most, uh, the most payroll on the injured list over the course of the entire season. I think as of a couple of days ago, it was 
approaching like 200 million it, it was it was getting absurd uh let's see if i can bring that up uh i know that as of like a week and a half ago they okay so i had the money way off you're going to have to forgive me on that but that as of like a week and a half ago they had over 60 million dollars spent on io players 20 between 26 players and over 1500 days spent on the il the next closest was the new york mets who had less than 1200 days of players on the il between 24 rostered players and less than 48 million so over 10 million more in il players salary over 300 more days than anyone else and almost an entire MLB rosters worth of players to have hit IL. It is just astonishing that this team, what the injuries that they've dealt with, they've, they've gotten the injury bug pretty much over the course of the entire year. Obviously the first name that comes to mind is Chris sale because he lasted all two starts and before he decided he wanted to break his finger and then break his wrist in a bicycle accident while he was rehabbing the finger. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just been a mess injury wise for the Red Sox this year, but that's not the only thing that struggled. The on-field performance has obviously struggled as well. And they last time we talked, I think the Red Sox were right around 500 somewhere in that 48 and 48, 50 and 50 ballpark range going into a series with the Brewers right before the deadline. And they have been just the epitome of mediocre since they, after a loss to the Reds tonight to finish out a two game series split with them, they sit at 72 and 76 They have no hope of competing for a division crown. They have no hope for competing for any of the three wildcard spots, even though technically they haven't been officially eliminated, I don't think, from any of those quite yet. I could be wrong. Uh, But they, if they haven't yet, they will be in the coming days because they as I bring up the standings now, they sit 18 games back of the division with, what is that? 16 yeah. or 14, something yeah, like that. Yeah, so they're they're toast in the division, but we, we've known that for quite some time. But yeah. they are technically still alive in the wild card race, nine and a half back of the final wild card spot. But uh, like you said, with just over two weeks worth of games to go, they... They uh they they're done. They're they are toast. So the Red Sox have just been a mess. And it's not even like it's been like a, a roller coaster. It's just been just they haven't been able to get going really ever at all. They have they had a pair of three game win streaks. They had that five game win streak where they won the series finale again in minnesota and then they had a four-game sweep of the rangers only to promptly get swept by the rays thereafter and i think the, the the most incriminating thing that i can say about this boston red sox team is that they technically did not win a series against an al east opponent until they had a one game uh one game off with the with the orioles i think it was a makeup game as part of the uh delayed start in the season or it was a rainout, I forget which, but it was a technically a one-off with the Orioles on August 11th that they won by one. That was their first technical series win against a division opponent. It took them four months to win a series against a division opponent. That's not good. That's actually terrible. And yet somehow they're still a 500 ball club because the only teams that they can beat are the terrible teams. They've they've pretty much only won like maybe four series against teams with winning records. 
maybe maybe five. But it's been bad. It's been just really bad. They are the definition of mediocre. They've beaten most of the teams that they should have, and they've lost to most of the teams that they should have. And that's that shapes up for a pretty boring season, if in my estimation. They they've just been a tough watch. I'll I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it's I I mean August eleventh, dear God, man. Like dear God, what the heck are we doing? I I I know the schedule is changing next year, but through this season, you get seventy two to like seventy six games against your division opponents. And if you don't win a series until August 11th against one of them, and it's a one-off, no less, I mean, you're not going to have much success. It's just like the rest of the thing is, is the rest of the American league with the exception of the Astros and Mariners is pretty crappy. Like even the, even the teams leading the AL central aren't all that hot. Like they probably would be in the same boat as the Red Sox. They just have a crappier division. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's not surprising that they beat up on everybody else because, you know, everybody else isn't all that good. But, like, you, you got to know what division you're in. You got to be ready to compete. Like, you, you knew what the Yankees were coming into the year. You knew what the Rays were. The Blue Jays spent a ton of money again to try to compete. And the Orioles, it was only a matter of time because they took the Astros route to rebuilding a team. And it's been three years. And they had a ton, they had the number one farm system in baseball all year. And Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson got called up. So you, you knew they were going to start to compete sooner rather than later when, when you have some of the best prospects in the league coming up. So, I, I mean, the fact of the matter is it, it just seemed like this team wasn't locked in this year and mentally they were somewhere else. And that, that starts at the top with guys like like Chris Sale not being able to, you know, take care of his body. And I, I get the finger thing was bad luck, but then you're going and riding – Riding a bike, it's like, oh, you sh- what are you going to say? You shouldn't be allowed to ride a bike. Well, you can ride a bike, but just like be cognizant of your surroundings, dude. Like, you're getting paid thirty million dollars to play baseball. You go ride a bike. Don't get yourself a season-ending injury doing it. Like, and then Xander Bogarts, who he's had a good year, but he hasn't been the Xander Bogarts that he can be that everyone knows he's capable of being. You know what I mean? Like the power, the contact's there, but the power's not there. I think mentally, the contract year thing is affecting him and. You can say, sure, that affects a lot of players, but it, it certainly hasn't affected Aaron Judge at all. If, if anything, it's it's played Judge into more money. He's, he's going to win MVP. Yep. So, I, I mean, and, and then you look at a guy like J.D. Martinez, who, you know, when they first signed him in 2018, he was the best hitter in the lineup, sitting over 330, 35 to 38 home runs, just killing the ball. It was a matchup nightmare for catchers. And now, I, I, I mean, he's borderline unplayable because he, he can't play the field anymore. He he's not even a two eighty hitter, and he's not hitting for the power that he used to. Like he 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 was a great signing, but he completely fell off this year. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's something with his lower body. I don't know if it's a mental thing. But you know, those are three guys who are supposed to be the driving force of your roster, and they just aren't. Like, with the exception of Raphael Devers, who has had another phenomenal season, and I think is the best third baseman in the league. The guys who are supposed to be the guys this year weren't they didn't live up to their expectations and it starts with them and then trickles down to the rest of the roster it's related to the mental aspect of the game the injuries like you mentioned earlier it's they just weren't good enough this year ryan it's it's so frustrating as a fan because they were an alcs team last year and the only really key piece they lost from that team was schwarber whom Mm -hmm. they went out and replaced with trevor story which you kind of figured was a wash at the time they have similar hitting profiles but like, I, and I know Schwarber walks more, but um, I mean, you just expected more from the team, and it's just been a massive disappointment start to finish. I think the the main issue that I have with this year is that they did not adjust to the how the division evolved over the course of the season, like. Yeah, they they got to the point where they were breathing down the Yankees' necks coming out of June. They they looked like, hey, maybe they've turned a quarter. Maybe they figured it out. Yeah, they played some not-so-great competition, most of it, but maybe maybe that's what they needed to jumpstart themselves. And then July comes, and they completely crap the bed against all those good teams that they played, all those above 500 playoff-caliber teams that, they went up against and they more or less rolled over and pooped the bed. And for them to not pivot and see that and be like, okay, 
we can't beat anyone that is better, that is good at baseball. So why are why are we even bothering? We're not even close to being in contention for a wild card spot, let alone we're not even out of the cellar of our own division. They were, I'm pretty sure, and I'd have to double check, but I am almost positive they were in last place or at least in fourth in their own division at the trade deadline because Baltimore had figured their act together and was had either lapped them or jumped them or was about to. And they were playing some seriously hot baseball. The Orioles have cooled off a little bit, but they're still right there challenging as the first team up uh, if either the Mariners or the Rays were to fall off uh, for one of those wild card spots. The Orioles are still in it if they can get hot down the stretch. I can't say the same for the Red Sox because they are literally the worst team in their division and they're literally almost one of the worst teams in their own league. Like, yeah, there are a handful of teams technically below them in the standings, but I just, it's just not there. Like, the offense was supposed to be better. We knew the pitching was going to be questionable coming into this year, and it turned out to be just complete and utter dog water. But it's just the the lack of awareness in the front office to see that this team was not going to be able to come anywhere close to replicating the run that they had last year and to not pivot and go into sell mode when you need to just, I, I don't know if it's because that Boston has just turned into a place where you don't accept losing. It's unacceptable or not, but I, I don't know. But because especially when you take into account that, Boston, the Red Sox have always flip-flopped, especially in recent years between being like up at the top of the AL East or at the bottom. And you would think that this is just par for the course. Hey, maybe let's maybe let's do something different this time to get out of this kind of rinse rise rinse repeat nonsense. But it it's just frustrating that they did not pivot when it seemed pretty evident that a there were four clear better teams in their own division than them not even taking into account like the Astros or uh, the, the guardians or the white Sox. Like there's just, they, they did not pivot and I feel like they absolutely should have. And now Heim has to figure out how he's going to fix that because you, you look at, like you, you mentioned Mike JD Martinez, the just complete decline in power from him over the course of this year and over the past couple of years has been kind of shocking in a sense. I don't know if I saw that coming, uh, but it's, it's definitely concerning to the point where you can't be dishing out money to bring him back unless he's going to take a fat pay cut. You know, somebody out there is going to be willing to pay JD the money to be a good contact hitter who can put, give you 10 to 15 home runs still. Uh, but it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see where the Red Sox go from here. Uh, w- let's let's kind of pivot a little bit and let's revisit the the farm system, Mike. You brought up how we brought up the Red Sox. <laughs> we the Red Sox brought up we? some prospects uh, from the farm system during the September call-ups. And I think we should kind of talk about that a little bit. Uh, we've seen some of the guys that we expected to be called up in Casas, in Connor Wong, Bizardo, and we even saw a guy like Zach Kelly be brought up as well as uh, what's his name? Frank, uh, Frank Herman. Yeah. Frank Herman. Okay. Get a call, call up. But there are still some names that maybe should have gotten a call up to or sooner than have, or they should by the end of the season. Uh, so, Mike, talk to me about the guys that have been called up, what you've seen from them, what you've liked, what you haven't liked. And if there's anyone that you haven't seen get promoted to the major league level that you would like to see promoted before season's end. 
Yeah, so from the guys that I have seen get promoted, the two guys that I have liked, believe it or not, um, th- this one's going to stretch back a while, but I want to go with Brian Bello and Connor Wong, and here's why. Wong was one of the guys, along with Ronaldo Hernandez, who was in contention to be a future catcher on this roster. And Bello, when he first came up, he struggled a little bit, right? He didn't really adjust to the major league game. His control wasn't there. He didn't look calm and everything. And then Wong got called up. His ERA is now sub five. And I get like four, seven, five, not great, right? But he's a rookie. It, it was over six for a while. He was having some bad starts. It, it almost seems like he's been calmer since Connor Wong came up. And mm-hmm. like his presence has allowed Bello Bayo to settle into the games and kind of just deliver his sinker with the accuracy that he was doing in the minor leagues. And to to show the ability to dominate at the level of a number three or number two against some of these weaker teams. And so I like that battery for the future. I think it's earned Wong a place on this roster, if nothing else, as a backup catcher slash Bellow specialist, because Bellow clearly feels comfortable with Wong behind the plate. He, he seems to pitch better when he's out there. And I think that Wong, you know, in the, in the modern era, unless you get a guy like Adley Rutschman, your catcher is going to be defensive oriented. And Wong has shown an ability to command the staff pretty well, given not all the young guys pitch well, but that's less on him and more on them. Um, excuse me. Um, I, I think that he he has shown an ability to handle these guys and, and to adjust quickly to learn how, how some of these guys throw on the fly because let's face it, some of these guys didn't go to the minor leagues. Like Nick Pavetta has been in the bigs the whole year. So he had to learn Nick Pavetta on the fly. He might have caught him once last year when he got called up briefly, but he's kind of had to learn the job here at the major leagues and learn how some of these guys throw. And he seemed to do a good job at it. So I like what I've seen from them. What I don't like are, I'll give you two more. Tristan Casas is one. In his first 38 at-bats, he has three hits. Given two of them are home runs, but three for 38 is not good from a guy who's supposed to be a top 20 prospect in baseball. Now given, Julio Rodriguez had a bad first month too. And he just signed for $200 million. So anything can happen. I don't want to overreact to one month, but it's been a really rough start over the first 13 games of Costas's career. The other one is Caleb Ort. The stuff is there out of the bullpen, but the control just isn't. He's getting lit up every time he steps in the mound. He doesn't seem like a legit major leaguer. He, he might just be part of the, the 4A Woo Sox going forward, or he's just a 4A guy who's going to be part of the AAA Woo Sox. Excuse me. That's what I meant to say. Um, <laughs> I, like that that team is just all 4A players. That's why they're so goddamn good. They're not good enough for the bigs, but they're too good for AAA. And Polar Park is just a, a hitter's paradise, but I digress. Um, anywho, yeah, that, that's that's what I have liked. That's what I – and the guys I have and haven't liked. And I guess if there's one guy who I would have liked to have seen called up, it's Valdez. You traded Vasquez for him. Th- there's got to be some playing time to go around at this point. There's no real point in trading, J.D. You're not really competing for anything this year. You got two weeks left. You, tr- you, tr- you traded CV for him. Let's see what Eman- Emmanuel Valdez has in a short sample size. Give him some run. See if he was worth it. See if he can handle some big league pitching at the end of the year. And, you know, if there is a, a vacant corner outfield spot next year, they'll have Verdugo and Kike in the outfield, but they got to find a left fielder somewhere. And if he plays well in in the, uh, the last two weeks here and does well in spring training, Valdez could earn his way into that starting role. I, I didn't love the trade, but if he if if he comes up and shows something, then maybe it was worth trading him and getting a guy with a ton of control who's that young. So, you know, that's 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 kind of where I'm at with with the young guys. What about you, mm-hmm. Ryan? Well, I'll go off on the guys that we you didn't touch on. I've liked what I've seen so far from Bizarro. He looks like he has major league stuff and he sh- it's just going to be consistency. Uh, I do like what I've seen with from him, the fact that he can go multiple innings if need be and not lose like quality in terms of output. He recently went through two shutout innings against the Royals. Didn't strike anyone out, didn't walk anyone though, did give up some hits, but clean sheet was able to work out of trouble both innings and and he's had scoreless outings in four of his past five outings this month so i i like what i've seen there i think we need to start to see more consistency maybe some more opportunities because he's been roughly pitching every three to four days 
And I mean, that's fine in September when you have all these available options, but I, I would like to see him pitch a little bit more to see if he can handle an increased workload. So I think getting him multiple innings when you do get him in there is nice to kind of see if he can handle that kind of role. What I haven't liked is what I've seen in two lone appearances from Frank German or Herman. Uh, one inning pitched, including an outing where he didn't record an out. Most recently, this past Saturday against the Royals, where he gave up two hits, two walks, all four people scored. Didn't get a single out. And in his previous outing, he had a strikeout, but he gave up a solo home run in one inning of work. That's not what you like to see from somebody that you got. I think you want to be able to, you want, if you're going to have a guy in the system and you're going to give him opportunities, you'd like to see him try to capitalize and you haven't really seen it from him yet. He's had solid numbers in the minors, but clearly it's, it's been a tough go in his limited opportunities at the major league level. The one guy that, I would like to see get a call up and maybe get a couple of outings if in the bullpen would be AJ Pilati. He's a right-hander who's been for the most part, lighting it up in between double A and triple A across 58 innings. He's got an ERA of, of under three and he's got a K per nine over uh, 10. And that's that's pretty pretty good stuff, you know. Fastball slider, he can mix in a breaking ball. Uh, he, he, the problem is he's eligible for the Rule Five draft, so he's gonna have to be added to the forty man soon if the Red Sox want to keep him around. I don't know if they've done that or not yet, but I know when you get rid of Familia, they got rid of him. Maybe they ask Bra- you know, Brazier if they haven't already. Then that might be an avenue to keep him. But he's he's not a a top prospect even in the in the Red Sox system. He's actually like really down low uh, as of I think uh, as of two weeks ago he was not even in the top fifty in the Red Sox system somehow. I'm not sure how that happens. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I wouldn't mind giving him a crack. What do you have to lose? See if you got something there. Um, so that would be a guy that I would like to see get a call up here down the stretch. Mike, let me uh, let me ask you this. Uh, looking at next season, assuming that we don't have massive changes, Assuming that the roster looks pretty similar to what it does this year and that you have much better health and maybe a little bit more consistency, what are reasonable expectations for the team next year? I think a reasonable expectation is to fight for a wild card spot. Um, The first reason I say that is a lot has to do with the rest of the division and how that all plays out. The Yankees are entirely dependent upon Aaron Judge and if they're able to re-sign him or not. He, it's weird to say this, but he might have actually priced himself out of Brian Cashman's range. Cashman has not been a big – he's been a – that's a lot. He has been a big spender, but because he's been a big spender on certain players, I don't know if he if Judge is going to be someone that they invest another $35 million in, given what the payroll is already at. Um. If he's back there, the Yankees are going to be the same wagon that they were this year. If he's not, the Yankees could be a regression candidate. But then you still have to deal with the Orioles and the Blue Jays, who are young, quality rosters with good hitters, some good young pitching that are going to put up fights. I think the Rays are a prime regression candidate just because of Shane McClanahan's injuries down the stretch here. Glasnow hasn't pitched in over a year. Over a year. Wander Franco's dealt with some injuries. And that lineup isn't particularly awe-inspiring, and their farm system's not what it used to be. So I think the Red Sox are somewhere between second and fourth in the division. I don't think they win it. But second and fourth in the A at least is good enough to – it should be good enough to at least allow you to be in a wild card spot or close to it. Um, 
whether or not they they rise or fall in that evaluation will depend upon how the offseason goes. And looking at the offseason, there are four areas they really need to address. And those are shortstop, whether that's bringing Xander Bogarts back or getting another alternative in there. Like uh, it could be a big name like Trey Turner, or it could be a holdover like Andleton Simmons if you're just trying to get ready for Meyer in the future. Uh, the corner outfield spot, because Tommy Pham's a free agent, you have Verdugo and Kike, but you got to find that third outfielder because Duran is not him. Starting pitcher, uh, you have some guys under contract like Pavetta, Sale, who I don't even know if you can really rely on at this point, James Paxton, Brian Bello shown something as a younger guy. But, you know, you've got some guys walking like Yavaldi and Michael Walker, who showed some stuff this year and are probably good guys to consider bringing back, or you could look elsewhere on the market. Um, off the top of my head, I don't know all of the guys who are available, but there's always plenty of names out there. So looking into that and seeing who's available. And then relief pitcher. I like that you brought up Pilati. I think that they need to seriously reevaluate the bullpen. They have three good options at the back end with Schreiber, Hauk, and Whitlock, although Whitlock's regressed a bit this year. But they need more. The bullpen sucked this year for the most part, and they need some middle guys to get to those late-end guys if it, if a starter can't get past the fourth or fifth inning. So how they address those four spots on the roster are going to be pretty determinant in what this team looks like next year. It's hard to evaluate without knowing what they do there. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately going to come back to what we talked about with Haim being on the hot seat. I think that's pretty clear that his vision is not panning out the way most would have liked it to. And he obviously needs to do something to address it. So how he goes about addressing the needs that you just outlined is probably going to not only decide, determine what kind of outlook this team has for next year, but also Heim's own job security is if he's able to go out and secure a couple of big name free agents, whether that's, bringing back Bogarts to to keep shortstop fine for the future, whether it's bringing in a Trey Turner to fill in that gap or go get a big-name corner outfielder. Uh, like you said, I'm not sure who particularly they could target that may be willing or able to come over. But again, there's, there's always somebody out there that you can go out and target. At worst, go out and do it on the trade market. It, it's it's doable, uh, but they've got to figure out what they are first. They've got to decide if they are contenders, if they think that this is just a, a down year because of injuries and that they're, they'll bounce back and they're only a couple of guys away from getting back into playoff and championship contention, or if they're somewhere in the middle and they need to hit the restart, the reboot button, and they need to kind of start sending guys out and start kind of building for the future. And so there's a, there's just a, a lot of decisions that need to be made and the front office is going to be at the center of it. And so, yeah, it, it, it was a kind of a tough question to ask, but if, if they bring back the same team, then I really think that the ceiling is a wild card spot and maybe one, one playoff series win two if they're super duper lucky and it completely over exceed the their expectations but uh, i i just don't see that this as a championship world series champion roster as it is right now so if you if you run it back with more or less the same guys it's i don't think it's gonna be much better than it is maybe you end up at like high 80s wins instead of like high high 70s I I just I don't see it, and they definitely need to decide whether they're gonna go all in to to get back into the thick of things, or if they're just gonna say screw it and go into rebuild mode. And until we know that, it's really tough to say what the 2023 Boston Red Sox are going to look like. Now, hindsight is always 2020, Mike. You and I both know that. So I think the last thing that we can kind of talk about and touch on is how this, the second half of the 2022 season could have or should have played out. 
looking at how they performed in the first half going into the all-star break and between the all-star break and the trade deadline, were the Red Sox just destined to finish around 500? Should they have sold big time at the deadline and more or less tank the rest of the way to improve draft position, get more prospects back into the system and, and kind of get that process going already? Or was the line that they took like defendable given the fact that they have just been plagued by the injury bug? Um, the answer to the first question regarding, you know, were they destined to finish 500 and should they have sold as a resounding? Yes. I mean, they spent the first half beating up on bad teams and getting their asses beaten by good teams. That's the definition of a middle of the pack team, a 500 ball club, more or less. I mean, that that's what this roster became by the middle of the year and what you could tell it would be. And so you see that it's almost impossible to tank just because, um, you know, you can't tell Major League Baseball players to not try, but they should have gotten rid of some of the bigger names like Martinez Nivaldi and prioritized getting some of those younger guys like Casas and Bizarro playing time earlier um, just, just to see what they had for the future and tried to get some more young pieces in for the future. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just frustrating as, as a fan of this team t- to watch the way that they handle it and everything. And like you said earlier, hindsight is twenty twenty. but in the heat of the moment, what, what are you doing thinking like, yeah, this team won seven games in July. We can still compete for a wild card spot. No, you can't. No, you can't. I mean, it's yeah. just so frustrating to see all that and and just think like, oh yeah, they they decided to go for it. Like, what were you doing? I mean, seriously, what the hell were you doing? It's, I don't know. It's they they should have probably tried to just tank or get the younger guys some playing time, but. At the end of the day, they didn't, and now we're the ones who have to live with the results of that, unfortunately. So, yep, it's it's been a tough season to say the least, and I think that's where we'll leave it. Not disappointed in how things unraveled this year. Trying to be cautiously optimistic for next year, but a lot needs to happen a lot to be determined going forward so i think that's going to do it mike any final thoughts i already know the answer i'm going to serve you it up wait 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 no um i'm not going to do that to you tonight i i have three legitimate like quick hitters on baseball that i wanted to ask you yes and it has nothing to do with that college program we'll we'll save that for the college pods and zach's not here so it's it's less fun um my first one uh Non-one Soto edition, what do you think was the best move at the deadline by any team? Because Soto is obviously the big name, but off the top of your head, best move made at the deadline, not Soto. <sighs> that's that's a good question. You look at the big moves that were made at the deadline, not named Juan Soto, and you the first one that comes to mind is the Josh Hader trade where the Brewers sent him to San Diego another move the Padres made for base where they basically swapped closers and that move that that just did not work out for honestly either team so you you really can't do that one i think the best trade of them all so far given early returns has to be the the Cardinals fleecing the Yankees, getting Jordan Montgomery for them, who has been outstanding in the Cardinals rotation since the deadline. It took him four starts before in like 20-something innings pitched before he gave up an earned run in a Cardinals uniform. He started his Cardinals tenure with a shutout of the New York Yankees. And what did the Yankees get in return? A center fielder that has yet to put on a uniform for them until, like, I think tonight. the other day. It was like last night or tonight. Bader made his debut. Yeah. It's yeah. Harrison he, Bader. He uh, he's, hasn't played a single 
game all season until now. And the Yankees are not exactly just loaded at starting pitching. Like they've they've had their ups and downs at in the rotation. So for them to give up a very solid at worst, if not very good rotation piece and get a center field option that may or may not pan out because of injury that you don't know what you're going to get from him this year whatsoever. When you had a guy that was pitching effectively for you in your rotation, not getting hurt or anything, that's, that's gotta be the best trade of anyone. The Cardinals fleecing Brian Cashman and the Yankees for Jordan Montgomery. And I can confirm as someone who is a coworker with a Yankees fan, Yankees fans hate that move just as much. Yeah, yeah. I have a. Is that a Brian from a fantasy league? It is. Yeah, yeah. I have a bunch of friends who are Yankees fans, and they were they were pissed about it in hindsight too, just because they, I think they thought that they had Pablo Lopez in the bag, and then that fell through, and so they were like, "Oh well, shit." Um, so that was actually one of the names that came to mind. The other one was uh, Luis Castillo to the Mariners. Mm. Um, when you have a 21 year playoff drought and you have a clear hole, like Robbie Ray and Logan Gilbert showed some signs this year of being frontline starters, but they're not Luis Castillo. He's legit number one ace. And they had a, they have a good young roster in place. They had some expendable prospects. They went out and used those guys to get themselves a starting pitcher who could be a frontline one in the postseason and who they had control over for not only these two months, but through next year. I think that was another great move made at the deadline, but I agree Montgomery was the big one. The second, the second question I had for you, Ryan, is I know I'm sure you'll do a pod, but gut feeling right now, who's winning the World Series and why? It's so hard to say anyone but the Dodgers, but we know that outside of the COVID year, they have been more or less perennial playoff chokers, just frauds. And so looking at the Yankees sort of second half, I don't want to call it a collapse, but because they're going to hang on and win that division, they've kind of righted the ship to a degree, but it's, it's going to be really interesting. I, I mean, the Astros are probably the favorites to come out of the AL now because the Yankees have ha- just fallen off the, the pace while the Astros have just gone nuclear. I think if it's unless one of the wild card teams gets hot, like I could see the Blue Jays putting it together and making an ALCS run and maybe maybe pushing the Astros if, if they don't meet sooner. But I feel like the Astros have to be the team to beat and come out of the AL. The NL is where it gets really interesting for me because whoever doesn't win the NL East is going to have to survive a quick series in a wild card round against either the Brewers or the Phillies. Most likely, maybe the Padres. The Padres slip up a little bit here. And then they'll go straight into a, a series with... Uh, and then they'd, they'd play... The, let's say it's the Braves, if we go by the current standings. The Braves would then get the Cardinals, but they wouldn't have home field. Uh, I mean, I feel like the Dodgers are just kind of in prime position where they're going to get to pick the scraps of well okay walk that back because i'm i'm getting i'm getting mixed up with the 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 new playoff format with the extra wild card team so if the braves are the first wild card they're gonna play the dodgers in the divisional round if they survive that right yeah but i believe it's I could be wrong. I don't know if it's standings based or I, I have to think the third division winner gets the worst wild card and the other two wild cards play it out. I think that's yeah. How it works. So then uh, the, it would be three, six, four, five, which means the, the second best division winner would play the winner of the three, six. So you'd be looking at Cardinals versus the Mets. And then if, if that played out that way, 
And then you'd have Braves and Dodgers. And that would be, I think, a rematch of last year's NLCS, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, the the Dodgers may end up getting home field throughout, and they almost surely will if they haven't already pretty much locked that up. But they they don't have an easy road. They're going to get challenged right off the rip with a near 100-win team. And if they survive that, they could get another 100-win team in the Mets. The Cardinals are no slouch themselves. So I feel like the NL is going to be a dogfight. I'm not saying the AL won't be because I think the AL has more depth. But I feel like the NL has better top-tier teams. Whereas the Astros with the the Yankees kind of coming down to earth and being showing that they're vulnerable, I feel like the Astros have to be the World Series favorites. Yeah, so this is my first time looking at the standings in a while. I did not realize the Astros were on the verge of 100 wins already. I had actually predicted a while ago they were going to win the American League pennant, but holy shit, they ran away with it. The Yankees came screaming back to earth. The Astros were just like, nah. Um I think that's partially a product of the Yankees division just being tougher, but like, holy crap, Houston. Yeah. Um, I agree that Houston's definitely the American League favorite. I, I think it's it's hard to not think they are. The Yankees just, they kind of showed their flaws here in the second half, and the rest of that American League is just so, eh. I mean, like the Blue Jays, like you said, the talent's there, but like, is it really? The AL Central's not putting up a legitimate fight. I'm sorry. The Guardians are nice, but they're not that nice. Yeah. And then... I actually do think the Mariners could give the Yankees fits they have this year, but the Astros have their number. It's I, I can't see any team but Houston really getting out of there. Um, although Altuve did supposedly get hurt tonight, so we'll see what the deal is there. The National League, I actually like the Mets here. Um, I think that whoever wins that NL East is in a prime position because they'll get to, like you said, they'll get to host the Cardinals. The other one's probably going to have to, the Cardinals or the um, like Phillies or Padres, whoever it'll be. The other one's going to have to go play the Dodgers. That's a nightmare. I mean, you have to play a, a, a three-game series only to have to go deal with the Dodgers for five. But, I mean, I don't know. I got Mets over Astros right now just because in a seven-game series, in theory, the Mets can throw DeGrom or Scherzer for five of those games. Five. I mean good fucking luck with that who the hell is competing with that the Dodgers don't have Bueller for the rest of the year Kershaw's not what he used to be Verlander's great but yeah Verlander and Framber Valdez has 25 straight quality starts but Framber Valdez isn't Jacob DeGrom or Max Scherzer I'm sorry he's a great starting pitcher but he's not them and he's he doesn't have the the resume that they have like when those guys are on their game you're not beating the Mets because their lineup's just too good too Mm -hmm. like yeah, I mean, you could blink and you're down 2-0 to that team. And then they don't even have to force it because they can just rest them regularly and have them again for games five and six. So it's like, you, you know, what are you going to do there? Like, all the Mets have to do is win both of the both of those games started by two of the best pitchers in the league, take one of the other two, and then they're up 3-1 with those guys sitting in their back pocket. It's like, I, I mean, the blueprint's just there for them. And Steve slammed his dick on the table last winter. It, the money was spent. It's it, it just feels like the Mets gear. Like, mm-hmm. it, it just feels like it's their turn to go out and get one, especially with the uncertainty of DeGrom not, maybe not coming back next year. I kind of feel like they're going to go all out, and I really like that roster. But like you said, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to go against the Dodgers and the Astros as well. They've just won so many games. The requisite for talents there, it's, they're hard teams to bet against. Um, and with that being said, my final thought, um, and this is just a quick, like name thing. Uh, it is a Red Sox pod. Your dream signing for the Red Sox this winter would be blank. Hmm. I'd have to look up who is available. Uh, let's see. Quick Google search for MLB free agents. By position tells me uh, I mean 
shortstop is obviously the most loaded position, not even close, especially if all those names like Bogarts, Carlos Correa, Tim Anderson, they all opt out. If, if, uh, oh God, obviously the big name would be judge. I think that has, I think the media has been trying to will that into existence across the board that judge is leaving and that the Red Sox could dish out the farm in terms of cash to do whatever it takes to lure him away. But honestly, if you, if Jacob deGrom opts out of his contract, just send the farm, just, just send the entire bank for him because the one thing that has screwed up everything for the Red Sox, it's never been the hitting. They've always had the hitting. They always seem to finish top five and, and run scored. But they always struggle with pitching, specifically starting pitching depth, ace tier, having, the, having a top tier ace for the course of an entire season, and then the back end of the bullpen. I don't really think that there are going to be a ton of guys uh, to really plug any of the holes in the back end of the bullpen. I Edwin Diaz has obviously been disgusting for the Mets, and that's another reason why I, I definitely can't argue against your Mets World Series pick right now. But you look at the other guys out there, and there's it's more or less just plug-and-play guys because my, my boy Dirty Craig Kimbrell ain't what he used to be. He used to be... I'll get the save. I'll give you a heart attack in the process, but I'll get the save nine times, 99 times out of a hundred. And now it's just not even close to that. Kenley Jansen has shown inconsistencies, both from an injury standpoint and from a performance standpoint. And the rest of the guys I'm seeing here as potential free agents, it's, it's not very appealing. So I feel like your best bet to fix pitching is to go nuts on the starting pitching market because uh, the free agent wise, unless they decide to pursue judge, I I don't see anything eh, that would appeal unless they decide not to bring back Bogarts and they swing for Trey Turner. So I guess my dream would be Jacob DeGrom, but that is pending a opt out from him. If he does not opt out, then I guess the dream would have to be bring Judge to Fenway. So that would be funny. Like that. Yeah, that that I mean, I, I I think I'd probably be on the floor crying, laughing, just because I like I can't actually see it happening because the the guy the big guy never goes New York to Boston. It's always Boston to New York. Yeah, like, the little like I'm willing to acknowledge where the little brother team in this. And the little brother never gets what he wants. So, like, seeing the little brother team get the big brother's, like, best player coming off an MVP, greatest block here of all time, would just objectively be outright hilarious. I would be laughing my ass off. Yes. Um, you actually kind of touched on the guy I wanted, and it's Trey Turner, and here's why. Since Mookie left, the leadoff spot's kind of been a black hole. Um, they do produce runs, but they haven't had that one – consistent top of the order force Turner is as good of a leadoff hitter as you're going to get. And he doesn't do it for the Dodgers because Mookie Betts is the best leadoff hitter in the game, but Turner's pretty much number two. Like he was, he was just as good prior to leaving the nationals. He just happens to hit behind him now because Mookie is more comfortable heading out of the leadoff spot. And Turner is fantastic hitter too. He hits for a ton of contact. He's a consistent over 300 hitter. He gives you speed on the base pass. He's one of the fastest, if not the fastest guy in the league. And if you don't bring back Bogarts, I mean, he's argue, Turner's arguably the best shortstop in the entire game. And he's worth the $35 million a year contract he's about to get. Um, he supposedly likes it better on the East Coast than out West, too. And he's acknowledged that. He said, mm-hmm. I won't rule out the Dodgers, but I like playing on the East Coast better. And I'm obviously paraphrasing there. But, I mean, if he likes the East Coast better... Boston's got the seaport. Like, I mean, that's that's pretty much the East Coast in a nutshell. We got the Cape. You know, you can you can go down for a weekend if you really want. <laughs> we we got we got some coastal stuff, and 
he would fit the roster well. And hell, you know, if he's open to it. I mean, he could, you know, become the center fielder. You push Kike to left. You sign Bogarts. You let him play shortstop. I mean, there's there's some possibilities here. I'm just saying, you know, if he's if he's amenable to moving positions, Trevor Story did it. Trevor Story did it. Trey Turner can do it too. Working all those dose, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I really like Turner's game. I think he could do a lot with with helping this roster. It's probably not realistic unless Bogarts walks, but Turner would be one of the few guys that I would be comfortable um, letting Bogarts walk for. Yeah, he's got a plus bat, plus he can swing for power. He's an elite plus-plus guy speed-wise. He's gonna. He's always a threat to swipe a bag. like, And he offers just defensive versatility to the max. Can play middle infield or he can play center field. You can really move him around and he can give you options based off of who you have available in the lineup that day. Um, that, that would be a great addition to the team. Uh, feasibility, don't know. But like you said, it would certainly be a fantastic get if that opportunity presented itself. Yeah. And that, um, that's all I, I have, that Mike. Yeah, that's 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 all I have. Those were just a few additional things. I, I know we haven't talked baseball in a while, so I I just wanted to get some some quick hits on those other items. I, I'm sure that the the playoffs will be touched on in another pod, and same with free agency. But just a a quick preview on like, you know, if if everything goes right, what are we thinking here? Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely be doing a. MLB postseason preview sands our Boston Red Sox, sadly, uh, when the time comes in a couple of weeks. Uh, but until then, I think that's going to do it for this edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. For Mike Ayula, Lil Mike, I'm Ryan Brown. We will see you next time.